The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. For those who are here at Stone Oak Bible for the first time, uh, we, the way our church teaches the God, God's Word is by studying books of the Bible, book by book and verse by verse. And during the last weeks, both Pastor Justin and Craig have been talking and discussing the book of Amos. Amos is a prophetic book from the Old Testament, written around 760 to 750 B.C., Around 30 years before all that prophecies written in that book actually happened. And the northern, northern kingdom of Israel was driven into exile by the Assyrians. So here's what we have discussed so far from chapter 1 to chapter 6 of the book of Amos. God's allowed Amos to see that beneath Israel's external prosperity prosperity and power internally the nation is totally corrupted to the core it's corrupt to the core the scenes which Amos confronts the people of Israel which with are very extensive number one it was neglect of God's law idolatry pagan worship greed corrupt leadership oppression of the poor so Amos begins by pronouncing judgment on all the surrounding nations. Then he speaks to the nation of Judah. And finally, the harshest judgment is given to the kingdom of Israel. Actually, he spent almost five books so far talking about the judgment that he's going to bring to the kingdom of Israel. So Amos has been saying in this last six, five, six chapters, a kingdom of Israel, the message is clear, the punishment is imminent. In Pastor Justin's message last week called God's Plumb Line, he spoke about God's perspective on the condition of the people of Israel. He mentioned that God, the divine builder, measure the people of Israel with a plumb line that reveal a concerning truth. And that concerning truth was that the wall of Israel was proof. As we continue with the series of sermons of the book of Amos, today I will be teaching from chapter 7, verse 10 to 17. So I hope that you can find it in the Bible. Last week, Justin titled his message, God's Plumb Line. Today, I would like to title my message, Always Stop at the, at the Yellow Light. Always Stop at the Yellow Light. So let's read 
Amos chapter 7, verse 10 to 17. And the word of God says, Then Amasiah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amasiah said to Amos, O oh, seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at battle, for it is the king's sanctuary and is the temple of the kingdom. Verse 14. Then Amos answered and said to Amasiah, I was not a prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel now therefore hear the word of the Lord you say do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against against the house of Isaac therefore thus says the Lord your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land. And Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. And I want to pray. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity that I have this morning to be in front of my brothers and sisters to preach your word. It's not my words. It's actually yours. Help me to articulate the best way I can what it says in this passage. To interpret for my brothers and sisters what this passage says. And knowing that the word of God even was written a long time ago. It's still relevant for us today. And it's worth it to be applied by us every single day of our lives. I pray that you can open the hearts of every single person in here. Knowing that it's not an accident that each of one of us are here today. Even including myself. Listening to this passage. Listening to the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several weeks ago, I asked to our Spanish group to imagine driving our cars and approaching to a BC highway intersection. And in that BC highway intersection, you will find a stoplight, a traffic light. And that traffic light at the moment you were approaching it, it's green. But you know how it is. Before we cross the intersection, the light suddenly turned 
yellow. And here as good drivers and good Christians, what we what do we do when we see a yellow light? We stop. Right? Actually, let me tell you something. I did some homework. According to the Texas Transportation Code section 544.007, the purpose of the yellow light is to provide time for drivers to stop before the light turns red. So, I don't know. I, I was reading and I thought that it was like a recommendation. I was like, really? Well, it's not going gonna to help me on my message. But it's not a recommendation. Actually, yellow light is to stop. And we stop because in matter of, well, federal law says three to four seconds. But San Antonio code is five to six seconds. I don't know why. In matter of four to five seconds, the light will turn red. And we need to stop. And for sure you're asking yourself what in the world Lewis is preaching today. At some point this is going to make some sense to you, I hope. So while you're completely stopped at the red light, waiting for the light to turn green, the driver in the car behind you is visibly upset about your decision to stop at the yellow light. Have you lived that experience before? Oh no, because you don't stop at the yellow light. Okay, now I get it. The individual is so angry that it's honking the horn and can be seen cursing at you. Then when the light turns green, the driver continues to pursue you, then passes you and shows you, shows you the special salute commonly used in our road rage. And it's not the military salute. Right after you were greeted with the road rage salute, you asked to yourself, why on earth? Despite doing the right thing, people's reaction to my obedience to the law has provoked anger, has provoked opposition. Why has provoked even more drastic persecution? In fact, I can assure you that after this non-pleasant experience that you leave, the next time that you find yourself in the same kind of situation, you will be tempted to run the yellow light. And this is actually what I want to talk to you today. Because when we go to chapter 7 of Amos, the second part of the chapter, I'm sure that Amos is experiencing exactly the same thing. Amos has the assurance that God has called him, and he is transmitting God's message in an act of obedience and submission to God. We will see in today's passage that despite his submission and obedience to the creator of heaven and earth, his message is being rejected, and he's being threatened by Israel Israel religious and political authorities. Amos has stopped 
on a yellow light. And the drivers behind him are upset and angry because he is doing the right thing. So let's start with verse 10 to 13. Then Amasiah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. So let's stop right here to point out some observations. Observation number one in this passage. You can see that during our journey of chapter one to chapter six, a little bit of chapter seven, the narrative, the narrative of the book of Amos was a pure prophecy. It was like more like, like a poem prophecy narrative. Right, but now suddenly in this chapter, everything starts changing, and now it's more like a historical account. There's an evident change of narrative style from a prophetic style to a historical style, a narrative that is not seen in the whole book of Amos before. That's the observation number one. Observation number two is that the passage mentions two figures in addition to Amos. Number one, he mentions a Messiah. And second, he mentions Jeroboam. A Messiah, number one, we're going to start with him, is described here as the priest of Bethel. And I want to stop Unpacking a little bit here. According to Genesis 28, Bethel was the site of an ancient religious shrine that became the chief sanctuary of the kingdom of Israel mentioned in 1 Kings uh, chapter 12. Just as Jerusalem is the holy city of the southern kingdom, Bethel is one of the holy cities, holy cities of the northern kingdom. Very important to mention that the name Bethel means house of God. So our Messiah is the priest of Bethel. He is the religious influence and authority in the sacred place in the kingdom of Israel. Our Messiah responds and defends to the political and religious interests of both the king and the kingdom. So let's go to Jeroboam. Jeroboam here is not the, Jeroboam, the first original Jeroboam that we know, that it was part of, the, it's part of the situation when the kingdom was divided, right? Jeroboam and Jeroboam. This actually, this is referring to Jeroboam number two, or Jero, Je, I'm sorry, Jeroboam the second. I'm getting excited, I start speaking other things. Jeroboam II. Actually, he is the seventh king after the division of the kingdom. He reigned in the northern kingdom for approximately 40 years in the first half of the 8th century before Christ. The brief report of his reign, we can find it in 2 Kings chapter 14. 
in verse 27, it is reported that this king, Jeroboam II, was an instrument by which the Lord saved Israel during his reign. However, in chapter 24, it is also reports in verse, uh, uh, it also reports that he did evil in the sight of the Lord by not breaking from the sins of Jeroboam the first, his father, the first king of Israel, leaving the high, the high places and using them to worship idols. So let's go again to verse number 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent Jer to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Verse 11, for thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. It's very obvious that Amaziah is sick and tired of Amos and his message. Some commentators believe that Amos has spent almost 10 years preaching his message in the land of Israel. But now Amos went too far by mentioning the name of the king. So for Amaziah, enough is enough. He was aggravated to the point that he sent a message to the king falsely claiming that Amos has conspired against him. According to Amos' words in verse 8 and 9, actually these verses we discussed it, we discussed it last week. Look what he says in verse 8 and 9. Behold, I'm, say, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So notice here that Amaziah is even, even, evidently twisting Amos' words. Who is conspiring against the house of Jeroboam is not Amos, it's actually God. Right? But let's continue with verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, verse 13, but never again prophesy as, at battle, for it is the king's sanctuary and is the temple for the kingdom. Basically what a Messiah is telling Amos is, hey dude, we don't like you, we don't like what you are saying about our behavior and about our future. So you don't belong here. So Go back to your little and insignificant land. Take your awful words with you and do not seek to make a living in our land speaking in the name of God. That's what a Messiah is literally saying to Amos. A commentator I read when I was studying this passage says, Early, Earlier Israelite dynasties has been overthrown by the words of prophets. So Amaziah's concern is at some point understandable. 
So he orders Amos to cease prophesying at the royal sanctuary. He continues, the commentator, saying, Amaziah cast Amos as a conspirator bent on the king's death and Israel's fall. And in, do, in so doing, Amaziah betrays the need for the Lord from line. The center of Israel is misunderstood as Jeroboam and the sanctuary as the king. Do you remember that I told you that Bethel means house of God? So here Amaziah is saying not is the house of God, it's actually the house of Jeroboam. So he changed the sanctuary that belongs to God and now belongs to a kingdom, a man. Another commentator of the book of Amos says, While we hear nothing from King Jeroboam II, himself in this passage, what comes from the mouth of Amaziah, the priest, is as clear as from Amos. Amos and his visions and words are a threat to the goodness of what Israel is. Jeroboam's reign, his temple, his sanctuary, and his land. In fact, this goodness is condemned throughout the book of Amos as a perversion, perversion sorry, of justice and righteousness. Go with me to verse 14. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. Verse 15, But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. So let's unpack these verses here. Here Amos is saying, I don't have a career as a prophet. In fact, I am a shepherd and a fruit picker from Tekoa, Judah. Amos is not coming from a family of prophets or from a school of prophets or from a, a priestly background. However, Amos has been called by God, the only divine builder who was brought the plumb line to measure Israel. And Amos has been obedient in answering God's call to tell Israel that God has found the walls crooked. So Amos says, Dude, I'm not a prophet. I'm not, a, I'm not coming from any prophetic lineage. I'm not making a living out of it. I'm away from home, prophesying to people that are not my people. But God called me to do something that seems to be a crazy thing. And I'm still obeying him. So then... Amos went ahead and gave Amaziah a more specific message that you will find in verse 16 and 17. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Verse 17 says, therefore thus says the Lord, your wife shall be, and this is beautiful, what is coming now. Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. And your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up 
with a measuring line. You're, you yourself shall die in, the, in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. So this is a clear message from God announcing the fate or the destiny of a Messiah's home after they become exiled by the Assyrians. They will be defeated and taken to a foreign place where they will lose their possessions, they will lose their customs, they will lose their freedom and their lives. But something that really amazed me is that Amos, in the midst of all this, Amos believed that God has called him. So without any fear, he kept announcing the message without changing the message. In fact, Amos honored God by his faithfulness and obedience to God, no matter the opposition or the persecution. No matter that the recipients of the message rejected, ignored it, neglected, or believed that the message of truth was a lie. So, my question for you today, and even for me, is what are we going to do with all this information? What are we going to do with this passage in Amos 7, 10 to 17? There are two things that we can do. Actually, there's more, but I won't, I'm going to start with two. Two things that we have heard this morning. First thing we will do. What we will do with this information is to have an opportunity to, number one, proclaim the gospel. The same God who more than 2,700 years ago spoke to the kingdom of Israel through the prophet Amos has also given us a message. A message that, as Justin said last Sunday, has made us know that because of our sin, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. God's plumb line has revealed that we are crooked human beings, and all of us have fallen short for His glory. And let me tell you something. Being short of the glory of God is the most terrifying news we can hear. However, bigger than the scariest news or the most terrifying news we can hear is the best news that we have here. And that good news is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life, John 3.16. The good news has transformed millions of people through all the ages. It has changed us and made us understand that our only hope is in Christ alone. Jesus says of himself that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, John 14, 6. Without him, we're 
crooked. He makes us straight before God. And Christ is our living hope. The second thing we can do with this information and we can apply it for us today is to have an understanding that this message that has transformed our life is not acceptable to everyone and will provoke anger, confrontation, and opposition, and actually persecution. Like the priest, Amasiah, many have chosen to believe that they are enough, that there, there is no need for God in their lives. For them, their walls don't need to be measured by God. They want it to be measured by their own plumb line. We will find people who have built a God on their own image. They have created their own God. It's like a Frankenstein, a God with a lot of parts that I like, that I love. Actually, those gods really look like themselves. I mean, when you give the message about the God revealing the scripture, the truly and real God, you will encounter some opposition and some rage. To tell them that there is only one way, that there is only one truth, will be ridiculous and dangerous for them. For us, telling them the truth will be like stopping in a yellow light in front of them. And because of that, brothers and sisters, you will be confronted, you will be mocked, you will experience opposition, you will be experience persecution. You have stopped the yellow light in front of them and they are upset. But despite feeling tempted to run the yellow light next time, Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to stand firm in that foundation that is Christ. Keep doing what is right in justice. The message of Christ, this message of the truth is worth it. If you have the opportunity, you can go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And he says, now, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And look at this, what the Apostle Peter is saying here. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. There's another scripture that I love about this, and you can find it in 
Luke chapter 6, verse 22 and verse 23. And these are the words of Jesus Christ now saying, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, on account of the sound of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Every time I read this passage of Luke, or the parallel account in Matthew chapter 5, I remember about the prophet Amos, when he says, for so their fathers did, did to the prophets. The third thing that I want to share with you today about how we're going to apply this today is that all of us as believers have been called to announce the truth. And maybe like the prophet Amos, you find yourself that you don't have the credentials or you don't have the proper certifications required by our culture or required by our society to be heard when we speak about the truth. Let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. I'm one of them. Not many were powerful. I'm one of them. Not many were of novel birth, even. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And in verse 28 says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things are, that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Amen? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. At the end, it's not our message. It's His message. At the end, it's not our glory. It's God's glory. And I want to finish with this. This is the last thing I want to say. And it's actually, I'm extracting this truth from the Word of God in Psalm 27, a Psalm of David, when he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So my last thing that I want to share with you today. Is that we have received salvation through the sacrifice and the life of Christ. This is the 
very best good news that we have received ever. And now, as part of honoring God with our lives, we are sharing what we are living in Christ. And again, there's going to be opposition, confrontation, persecution. But my message to you today, next time, do not cross the yellow line. Still keep and continue doing the right thing. Don't stop doing the right thing. You know why? Psalms 27 verse 14 says, Brothers and sisters, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Brothers and sisters, again, wait for the Lord.